Would please open your Bible to the book of Jonah. If you have your U version, open up to the uh, chapter of Jonah. Uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to be at today. And uh, we're going to be just kind of camping out there in the book of Jonah for the next four weeks. Maybe more. I don't know. I mean, usually Bible, you know, when you read through the Bible, it, it's, it varies. I might be there a little bit longer than I expected, but we're going to be here for the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. I've never done this before. Um, you, I've done it in discipleship, okay? I've done it in, in missional city groups when we hang out at the house, but I've never done it from the pulpit. I've never done it from the stage. I've never really done this. And what that is, is I'm going to read verse by verse, line by line, through a book of the Bible, okay? Now, there was three types of preaching, okay? There's topical, expo, 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 expository, and textual, I'm sorry. Expository. I am just losing it today. Thank you, Cardi. Expository. Topical is kind of like this. Now, topical is when you when you uh, pick a topic of the uh, you know pick a topic that you want to talk about, and then you find a scripture to support that topic. Okay. So, i.e., example, uh, Jesus loves you. Scripture would be John three sixteen. Okay. Okay. Expository is like this. Is a word by word, verse by verse, line by line explanation of what God is trying to tell us. Think of expository, exposing God's word to us. Okay, exposing. Okay, so example of that would be John three sixteen. How did Jesus love us? How did God love us? Why did He love us? What did He do to show us to love us? Where did He start loving us? That's expository, word by word study of the scriptures. Textual is text. Base. Basically, I read a scripture, and then I explain it and how it applies to our life, okay? So textual-based preaching would be, example, John 3.16 means that God loves you so much that he gave his son for our salvation, okay? That's what it means. The text of John 3.16, this is what it means, and the way we're going to apply it to our lives is we're going to go out, we're going to love people, okay? So topical, expository, and textual. And you usually preach topical here, okay, here at Impact City. Usually it's like, I want to talk about marriage. We're going to do a marriage series, so we're going to talk about marriage. And we're going to have all these scriptures, and every week it'll be like four steps to be a, a better husband, or four steps to be a better wife, or four steps to get rid of your kids. You know, you know something like that, okay? Topical is usually the way we go here in Impact City. Uh, how to be happy. I want to be happy in life. So here's some scriptures about how to be happy in life. You know, whatever it is, no matter what it is, that is topical, okay? We never go expositionally, not very much here. Because really, expositionally, we'll be here like for four years reading to the book of John. You know, and that's, it's that awesome, okay? Okay, but what we normally do, what I want to do here, I want to go kind of textual on you guys. I want to kind of go textual, expositionally, through a book of the Bible. And the book I want to go through is obviously the big whale, Jonah, okay? Now, why do I want to go to the book of Jonah, okay? Why? Because, well, I, I love the book of Jonah. I really think Jonah has a lot of great uh, morals, a lot of great things that we can go through and get things that we can learn. And the second reason why I want to go through a book of the Bible is because I really want us to have a passion for God's Word. Like, I really want us to really read God's Word and really have a love and a passion for what God has to say to us. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Say, again, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I'll give you guys a second to turn there. All right, there you go. There's your second. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
Okay, so let me kind of set the scene. Here's Jonah chilling in his apartment, okay? And here's God coming to Jonah. He's probably in prayer. And God comes to Jonah and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, and tell him something for me. Okay, uh, so a little theology for you. Nineveh was, at this point in time, one of the largest, if not the largest, town, city, metroplex in all of the eastern uh, Asia, okay? It was huge, okay? It was right off the Tigris River, so it made it a mecca for uh, trade and merchants and travel, okay? So people would stop by at Nineveh. It was in the middle of a desert, but there was a river going through it, so it was obviously like a highway going to Nineveh, okay? Along this came various types of races and religions and different ethnic groups and just an all-around plethora of great people and just a mixture of people, okay? If I could compare it to any one city today, I would compare it to maybe like New York. New York has a lot of people from the east, a lot of people coming up from the west, from the south. It's all over the place, okay? But with all these people in one spot, with all these people, it was about 120,000 people in that area at that time, by the way. With all these people in that one spot came a lot of sin, okay? So there was a lot of idol worship. There was a lot of sexual worship. You think it, they did it, okay? Slavery and other type of worship. There was murder and other type of sinful acts that came along in the town of Nineveh. In fact, Nineveh was known for its sinful nature. It was a bad, bad place. It was in the country of Assyria. It was an enemy country of where Jonah was, okay? I want you to picture in your mind that great metroplex, the metropolis of just all these people there. You got towns, you got concerts going on, you got sporting events, probably some bunch of like, y'all seen Gladiator, okay? Y'all seen Gladiator, Russell Crowe? You know, you seen stuff like that, you know what I mean? Some crazy, crazy stuff like that going on there, Okay? This is where God was sending Jonah. Okay, now a little background on our boy Jonah. And I say our boy Jonah because a lot of people think Jonah, they think this old man with a beard. Now Jonah was actually very young. In fact, he died at the age of 60. He lived from 800 AD to 740 AD. So he was 60 years old when he died. So when God called him, he, everyone thinks he was probably around the age of 18, 19, kind of a young teenager, old enough to travel on his own, old enough to speak well and be respected well. But he was probably very young when he was first going over to Nineveh, okay? So, and I say boy because he was very young, okay? Um, he, uh, a lot of another reason that we think he was very young was uh, he was very prideful. He was very prideful. Now, how many of you guys were prideful, kind of cocky? How many of you guys were like that when you were young? Okay, at the age of 18, 19, I thought I knew it all. I thought I could do anything I wanted to. I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof, okay? How many of us are still like that? You know, I think, uh, I, love, I love Taylor's story of shooting, hanging out the window and shooting someone with one hand in police academy. That's freaking awesome, by the way. Um, but you have right to be prideful of that. I mean, I would love to do that. I'd probably fall out of the window and get run over. Okay, so, but here is uh, Jonah's inner conflict. Okay? He was from Israel. It's a smaller nation, but it's God's nation. And he has a conflict with going over to Nineveh, okay? The conflict is this. It's not that he doesn't want to obey what God tells him to do, because he has been obeying what God told him to do for years already. He's a prophet, okay? He's a prophet, and he's actually probably got some pretty easy prophet assignments, because he's a prophet in God's country, prophesying to God's people. It'd be like me preaching to Christians. It's very easy to preach to Christians, okay? Because they know what you're talking about. They know the lingo. They know the slang. It's good, okay? Jonah is preaching to more of God's people. He's saying, hey, guys, God, our God said this, okay? So we should do this. And they're like, oh, okay, he's our God. Let's do this, 
okay? But now God is not telling him to go preach to his people. God's saying, get up off your God-given asset and go across the country and preach to Nineveh, okay? And so he doesn't have a problem with what God tells him to do. He has a problem with where God tells him to go. He has a problem with God saying, go. And Jonah says, no, I'm not doing that, okay? So he wants him to go to a place where there's 120,000 just scum of the earth, filthy sinners, a lot like us, you know? And so there's uh, no one will accept him. There's lots of violence. There's abuse. There's lust. There's sexual sin. There's hatred. He could get killed, okay? And imagine going in the middle of, of, a, of a market square preaching to everyone about their sin, and everyone's like, oh, no, we can take this fool, you know, and just, like, take him out. We can all relate to Jonah's story in some way, though, okay? For a lot of us here, we will hear something from God, and then we'll just push back. See, for example, you feel God telling you to start spending more time with Him. But for some reason, instead of waking up 15 minutes early, you sleep in 15 minutes later. Now you're rushing to work. Or, you know, you wake up 15 minutes early, and you might start spending time with Him in the morning, but then after a while, you're like, man, you know, I can really check my Facebook account. You know, well, what's the first thing we do when we wake up? We check Facebook. I do, at least. I roll over, I'm like, <sighs> four notifications, blah, 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 blah. Okay, uh, maybe you read that God wants you to start trusting Him 100% with your life, but you hold back. You hold back on your finances, or you hold back on trusting Him fully with your career, or you hold back on trusting Him fully with your family, or something like that. You hold back. You tend not to take risks in life. You tend not to, to really step outside of the, the comfort zone in life. In fact, you don't trust God. Or maybe God has a love for the lost and He is calling you to go and, and, and to spread the word about Him and to talk to those who are lost. But for some reason, you're scared and you never do it. Okay? This is Jonah's struggle. This is our struggle. And whenever we are faced with these challenges, when we are called by God to do so, we have two choices to make. We can either follow or we can flee. But remember that we can either follow suit and do what God wants us to do or we can flee away from it. Uh, let's see what Jonah did. This is verse 3 in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid for a fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He fled. He didn't follow. He fled. Now I want you to know how much effort it took for him to flee to Tarshish. Because I always hear this story, and for some stupid reason, I think Tarshish is like right down the street or something, okay? But I started really looking at it. I did a map quest of ancient world, and I found out where Tarshish was, okay? Tarshish was actually in Spain, okay? So Jonah is in Joppa, which is in Israel, okay? If you know where Israel's at, it's right, you know, you know where it's at. It's on this side of the Mediterranean, okay? Tarshish is on this side of the Mediterranean, okay? Tarshish is all the way in Spain. He had to go on across the Mediterranean Ocean, risk life and limb to go over the Tarshish, okay? Then, but before he did all that, he had to walk to Joppa, and he had to pay money to get on a boat to go over there. How many, how many of y'all ever paid money to get on a boat? It ain't no 10 bucks, all right? If you got to pay a pretty good amount to get on a boat. So he must have taken some money out of the savings account. I don't know we had a 401k going on you know, with his job. He probably took, took some money out, took a loan, and paid money to go to Tarshish. Now I want you to think about that, okay? He went all the way over to Tarshish. Nineveh, Nineveh was due east, directly opposite side of Tarshish. 
Okay, Nineveh was probably about maybe Tarshish is three times as far away than Nineveh. Okay, so Nineveh is about this far. Tarshish is about this far. Okay, Nineveh is over land. Okay, so you got to think about this. It's much safer to travel to Nineveh. It's shorter. You could take a road. There's probably a donkey, and you can you can rent a donkey or something. Okay, and you could probably stop. There's probably a rest area. You can stop and eat. There might be a hotel on the way. I'm pretty sure there's a Bucky's or two along the way to Nineveh, and it would have been a lot more safer journey to go to Nineveh than it was to go all the way to Tarshish. And I tell you what, I guarantee you, he probably never even been to Tarshish before, because it's all the way in Spain. Okay, so here's the thing that he had to do. He went up and above and beyond and out of his way to disobey God. You might be thinking, man, what a freaking idiot. Man, why would he not do that? Why would he just not listen to God? Listen, we do the same thing in our lives. I have ran to Joppa a time or two or 40. Okay? Every time that I know God wants me to be spreading the word, to be talking about him, to be really witnessing out to people, to be saying, hey, man, have you ever heard about this guy named Jesus? He's really awesome. And every time he gives me the opportunity to do it, I chicken out. Every time, but the majority of the time, I really do chicken out. I get all nervous inside. I get all scared. Like, like I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, what, like, what are they going to think of me as if I even matter in the whole big picture? And so uh, a lot of us will do that. We always have a choice to do what to do, uh, right or wrong. We're going to follow. We're going to flee. But I tell you what, every time we, I follow God, it always ends up being better. Let's keep reading. Um, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, that so that the ship was threatened to break up. And then all the mariners were afraid. These are the sailors on the ship. All the sailors on the ship were afraid, and each of them cried out to God, their God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and was laying down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper, arise, call out to your God? Because our God ain't doing anything. So you try your God now, okay? So try your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, and maybe we will not perish. And then they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots. It's kind of like saying, let's, let's pull some strings out and see who's got the shortest string. You ever done that when you were a kid? You're trying to pick who's going to go first to jump off the cliff or jump off the roof of the house. You ever done that? I did that. And so you pick strings to see who's going to go first. Okay? And so they said to him, let us draw lots and cast lots so that we may know who is accountable for this evil that has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. Man, that's an awkward moment right there. Okay? Then they said to him, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, did, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Okay? He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord of God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is it that you have done? Like, do you really messed up? You really ticked off your God, because he's like about to kill us, right? And so here's the water, and it's crashing, and the wind's going like crazy, and they're like freaking out. Like, what did you do? Because he's pretty mad, okay? Okay, and so the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So there's a few things I want us to know when we flee from God. There's three things I want us to know. We're going to tell one of these real quick. Three things I want us to know when we flee from God. Number one is that God is relentless in his pursuit of us. God is relentless in his pursuit of us. 
How many of you guys have read that Psycho Ex-Girlfriend? You know? Hello? Okay? That is just relentless in her pursuit of you. Okay? Uh, God is even more relentless in his pursuit of... How many of you ladies have Psycho Ex-Boyfriends? Uh, uh, relentless in his pursuit of us. He's relentless. Check this out. If God was willing to send his son to the cross to die for us, how much more would he do and would he put us through to reach his lost people? If he's willing to send his son to the cross to die, how much more is he willing to put us through for his people? Okay? So let's just remember the story of Jonah isn't just a story about uh, disobeying God. It's a story of God's love for his people. God's love for the nations, for the lost. God loved Nineveh so much that he was willing to put Jonah's life and the sailors all in that boat's life on risk because he knew that it was worth it. And so Jonah was in this boat, and, he, and sure, Jonah asked for it because he disobeyed God. If he would have just gone over, he could have just hit up a Bucky's along the way, he would have been fine in Nineveh, okay? But the story of God's love for the lost is what is driving Jonah to go through this right here, okay? Because God loved those people in Nineveh, okay? So he caused a storm to call, call attention to Jonah. Now, right now you might be going through a storm yourself. Maybe there's something going on in your life, okay? Maybe your marriage has been struggling, and maybe your marriage is just over already. And it's just been terrible. Uh, maybe you've been struggling financially, and you've been praying for God to help you get out of this, and God's, like, you're like, God, I'm in this financial storm, this financial drought, I'm having trouble, and God's like, dude, you're, I'm trying to show you that if you trust me, you get out of the storm. But you're in the storm because you're not trusting me. So just trust me and you'll get out of that storm. This is just like, like, like Jonah. He's in the storm because he's not trusting God. Okay, many of us, uh, okay, we're just going through a hard time. Maybe your life is just really just kind of, kind of crazy right now. It's just unorganized. It's all, uh, you, know, you know, just messed up right now. You don't know why it's messed up. Maybe we're not trusting in God the way we should be. Seek out in your life and I challenge you to look at your heart and say, what is it that I'm not giving 100% to God in? Okay, so listen, Jonah is in the storm, but if you look at the whole book of Jonah, he never prays for the storm to stop. He knew what the problem was. A lot of us want to pray, God, make it stop, make it stop. And we don't need to pray about that. We need to just own up to our mistakes and start following God. This is what Jonah does. He never prayed for the storm to stop. He never said, God, make the storm stop. He just said, no, okay, I messed up. We're going to take care of this now. Okay, he know Jonah's situation was a result of his lack of dedication. Okay, so number two, everyone is affected. Everyone is affected when it comes to our lack of following God. Okay, men, as we flee from the calling of God to be good leaders in our families, we're going to start seeing that everyone is affected by it. Okay, so women as well, if you start fleeing from your responsibilities, and, and, and the thing that God has played upon you to be great moms and great leaders in your community, you're going to start seeing more people affected. Going back to the men, if you stop leading your family, uh, your wife's going to be lonely. Your kids are going to be distant. Your family's going to start to break. And then the storm of divorce starts to brew, and even more people start getting affected by your lack of dedication to God. The family starts feeling betrayed. Brothers and sister-in-laws don't really feel like they know you anymore. Okay, uh, friends are left with this awkwardness of like, how do we hang out with both of them now? Because, like, you know, 
we love them both, but there's just awkwardness now, you know? And then work, your job situation is harder because now you're a single parent and now you have to try to figure out how you're going to care for your kids and go to work. Now your work's struggling. Now the people, are, all your people at work are picking up the slack for you because of the situation you're in, whether it is your fault or not. I, I firmly believe divorce is, is a two-way thing, okay? It's never just one-sided. There's always something that the other side could do. But whatever it is, then the storm starts reading and everyone is affected. Look at Jonah verse 5. It says, Then the sailors were afraid and each of them cried out to their God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. And Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and he was laying down here to sleep. Now, uh, I want you to remember they cried out to their gods. Okay, just kind of just keep that back in your mind. But everyone is affected. They're affected by Jonah's disobedience. Okay, they're just going to have a nice trip down to Tarshish, they're probably going to have a good time. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like the, the festival time or something over there. They're going to go out and party, right? And here's Jonah on board causing all this ruckus in the sea, and they're freaking out, okay? They didn't do anything wrong, okay? Jonah did something wrong. They're just going to Tarshish, but yet they're in this situation with Jonah, okay? They're in there. It's a lot like community. We're all affected by each other's in a roundabout way. If I was to have an affair, you guys would be affected by that. Why? Because I wouldn't be your pastor anymore. You would be churchless. And you would have trust issues with me for the rest of your lives. If I murdered one of y'all, y'all would obviously not trust me anymore. You know? Like, does he have a knife? You know? So, our sins affect everyone. Don't get this wrong. If you have addiction problems, if you're struggling substance abuse problems, it affects your kids and your friends and your family. Everyone gets affected. It's not just something that's happening to you. It's happening to everyone. Suicide is probably the worst one of those. Uh, when you were a little girl who had uh, committed suicide, you know, back when I was a youth pastor, and the, the, the ripple effect of that suicide reached all over the town, and everyone was affected by it. Suicide is the most selfish thing you can do. And it's selfish because everyone is affected by it. Everyone that has ever known you is going to be affected by it in some way. And so your sin, your disobedience to God, everyone is affected by it. Number three, everyone will know about it. Even God knows about your sin. You can hide your sin. Jonah was trying to hide from God, and God found him. Okay? So uh, verse 7 through 10 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so we may know who is accountable for this evil that has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, you, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Everyone's going to find out. Look, if you haven't figured it out, you cannot hide your sin. Okay? You can't hide it. Okay. Luke 12, 2 through 3, you don't have to turn there, just listen, says this. It says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and you will have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. Nothing is down forever. Nothing is hidden forever. Okay? If you're a jerk, it's going to come out eventually. Okay? If, if you're disobedient to God in some way, okay, it's going to come out. If you're sinning, it's going to come out one way or another. You can't hide your sin, okay? People will eventually find out. Someone's going to speak out. Something's going to slip. 
or God's going to cause the biggest freaking storm in your life to expose that sin so that other people will see that sin and that storm in your life and say, well, look, look, we got to come around this person and love them through this storm. It's not to expose you so that people can shun you. That's not church, people. That's called uh, hatred. When sin is exposed, the church should support and love and surround that person with love and hope and grace and resources and whatever it needs to be done to get through that. That is why God causes storms in our lives so that people can see the storm come. Have you ever been driving down the road and see the storm off in the distance? You're like, man, those people are getting hammered harder rain. Or when you see that tornado, you see it going across the land, you say, oh man, it sucks to be them. Or do you say, I want to go over there and help see what kind of damage control I can do. When God brings a storm on your life, it's not to expose you or to shun you. It's to have His people love you. Okay? And to expose the sin because like the Bible said, nothing that is covered up will ever not be, will always be revealed later. So you cannot hide an affair. Okay? You cannot hide a drug addiction. You cannot hide financial disobedience. You cannot hide a lack of faith in God. You cannot hide a broken home. You cannot hide sin. I've talked to people before, and they're like, man, I've been trying to get out of financial just struggling. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Are, 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 you, are you trusting God your money? Because you're like, no, I've been buying lottery tickets. I'm like, you're an idiot. I mean, do you, like, do you want the pastor response to that? Or you want the friend response to that? Because the pastor response will have a scripture to it. The friend response will just call you an idiot without the scripture. You know, and so what is it that we're doing? Nothing will ever be hidden for long, okay? Now, um, now that the cat is out of the bag with Jonah, um, let's see what else happens after we start deciding to follow God, after we fled, okay? Then they said to him, this is verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? What are we going to do to make the sea just like calm down? For the sea grew more and more stronger and crazier. And he said to them, and Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest, this great storm has come upon you. I don't know what a tempest is. That's a freaking hurricane, okay? I know that the reason why this great storm, this hurricane is around us is because of me, okay? Nevertheless, the men rode even harder to dry land because they could... But they could not, for the sea grew more and more stronger against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. I like the change of attitude from the sailors. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, lay, uh, for this man's life, and lay not us innocent blood for you. O oh Lord, have not as it pleased you. I am sorry, I'm kind of messing up this morning. And they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered up a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, okay? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, okay? Following after fleeing is always going to be harder than just following the first time. Okay, our boy Jonah, he's probably thinking, man, Nineveh is looking pretty nice right now. Okay, I could have been at Bucky's. Okay, I could have stopped by, got me a t-shirt on the way up to Nineveh. Okay, I could have just hitched a ride on a donkey. It would have been kind of cool. It could have been a, a boodle, and we could have just had a good time all the way to Nineveh. I would have been there by now, right? 
But instead, I'm in the middle of the ocean. I'm about to die. The boat's breaking apart. And these dudes just starting to look at me kind of weird. They're going to throw me overboard. And then to top all that off, he does get thrown overboard, and a fish swallows him. What a good day. No, what a great day. Okay? Just, I, at that point, I would just die. Just forget it. Okay? You know? And so what he's saying is this. He's, what, he, what God's trying to show us in Scripture is this. That you're going to follow me after you fled? It's going to be a lot harder than if you would just follow me the first time. Okay? I can't tell you how many men I've met that have, have just these, all these regrets for their actions, the way they acted within their relationship, within their marriage. And they see stuff like, man, if I would have just treated her better, if I would have just loved her, man, if I wouldn't have just worked so much overtime, if I would have just been home, man, if I would have just stopped drinking, man, if I would have just put the pills down, man, if I would have just stopped cussing at her all the time and treating her like crap. You know, I, I'm over all that now, bro. I, I'm, I'm over all that. I'm good. But man, I don't think she wants to ever take me back now. And it's like the road to recovery is so much harder now that you fled. Okay? Um, you don't believe me? Ask uh, any sponsor or any member of AA. Okay? They will tell you that it is an everyday battle to stay on track. You know this. You know this from a fact. It is an everyday battle. There's 12 steps to doing this. And you repeatedly do these things because it's an everyday battle for them. Okay? But they will also tell you that the very first choice is probably the easiest choice that they make. Usually the very first step away from God is the easiest choice you'll ever make in life. The very first step away from God is the easiest one you'll ever make. It's easy to step away from God. It's harder to step back over. He's willing to take you back. He loves you. He's going to welcome you back with open arms. But you might have to step over some rocks and some hurdles to get back over there in your own life. It's going to be hard. Choosing to follow after disobedience may be harder and if we would have just called the first time, I want you guys to know this, that there's hope. God offers hope. God offers this love and grace of forgiveness upon us for when we disobey God. How, how, how fair would it be to disobey God, the creator of the world, for him to just say, away with you, flick you away. I don't want you to disobey me. I don't even want dedicated followers in my army. How, how, how fair would that be if we had to do that? I mean, to be honest, would that be fair? Okay, I think it's fair. Okay, if you have someone working for you, okay, you got someone working for you. You guys are, uh, you guys sell, um, y'all sell balloons. Okay, y'all sell balloons. Okay, let's just go with that. Y'all sell balloons, okay? And little Johnny wants to come work for you. And little Johnny says, I'm going to blow up all the balloons for you, sir. And you're like, okay, ma'am, whatever. And so you got little Johnny, he's blowing up balloons, and you say, Johnny, don't blow them up bigger than this, okay? And little Johnny goes, yeah, but it looks really nice when they're this big, right? And so little Johnny just keeps blowing and blowing them up. He keeps popping and popping balloons. Before you know, you come back to check on little Johnny, and all the balloons that you gave little Johnny are popped because you overblew them. What are you going to do? It's okay, little Johnny. Come back tomorrow, and then we'll, we'll try this again tomorrow. No, you're going to fire little Johnny because he popped all your balloons. How fair would it be for God to just say, forget you, away with you, I got other problems in the world. But God doesn't say that. God doesn't, he doesn't offer that. God says, I love you, child, no matter how bad you've done, no matter how far you go, even if you go across the Mediterranean, over to Spain, away from where I want you to be, I'm still going to reach out for you. I'm still going to come after you. I'm still going to make a storm in your life to bring you back to me. I'm still going to cause that. 
I'm going to make a big fish eat you, but you're going to come back to me, okay? I'm going after you. I am relentless in my pursuit of you, okay? And so he offers us hope. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, Therefore, do not lose heart. Although outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light is and momentary troubles of achieving, uh, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's saying that, that our struggles and our pain and the things that we're going through ain't nothing compared to the hope and the life that God has for us if we just follow suit and live and love Him. That the trouble and the storm you might be in now doesn't compare to the beautiful sunset you're going to see tomorrow. That, that the troubles and the pain and, and the struggles you're going through, man, they ain't got nothing compared to what God has in store for you for the future. At the deepest, darkest part of your valley, you might not be able to see the mountaintop, but God says, on top of this mountaintop, man, I got an oasis for you. It's going to be awesome. Just, just follow me, okay? And so we, it keeps going on. And, says, and so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For it is what is temporary, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so Jonah's not seeing the unseen. He's seeing the seen. He's seeing like, Oh, man, I got to go to Nineveh, and Nineveh's got all these bad people. I don't want to go there, right? But if you would have seen the unseen, he would have just trusted in God and said, God wants me to go to Nineveh. God's going to put me in a place where I can be preaching his word. I can be sharing the gospel with other people. And when I get to Nineveh, when I get there, so many people can give their lives. Something amazing can happen. Something great can happen. And many of us might not see the greatness in our lives right now. But if we just look upon the unseen and stop looking at the scene, you might say, man, I can't, I can't afford to give an offering. I can't afford to tithe because if I tithe, I'll be broke. Where God says, I don't want you to give whenever you have. I want you to give when you don't have so I can give to you. God says, I don't want you to trust me with your life, with your family, with everything. Whenever everything's going good, I want you to trust me when everything's going wrong. God says, I want you to trust me all the time, not because it feels good, but because I'm good. Trust me because God is good. That's what he's saying to us. And he gives us that hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and, for not, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will then seek me and find me and you will seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and I will gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you out, this is the storm he's saying. Even though you're in a storm, I'm going to call you back. You're in a storm. It's okay. I'm going to get you back. He says, and I have, for where I have driven you, I declare to the Lord, I will be bringing you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God is saying to the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, he's saying, I have sent you out to exile because you disobeyed me. But don't you worry. Don't you worry. There is going to be a time where I'm going to bring you back to me. When you are ready to come back to me, I will bring you back. And I will make every provision, every way to bring you back. And when you get back, you're going to be stronger than you were before. So maybe some of us have strayed. Maybe some of us have strayed away. I know this few weeks, I've been feeling kind of weird about just where I'm at in my walk of Christ. And I, when I read these scriptures of hope, I don't get discouraged or I don't get this kind of feeling of uh, as if God has been punishing me. I don't, God doesn't punish you like that. God doesn't punish you. God doesn't abandon you in the storm. God says that the storm is here so you can turn your attention back to me. 
the lie that many people want to believe is that God will give you, God will never give you more than you can handle. No, that's a lie. God will always give you more than you can handle so you can trust Him. So trust Him. The question we have is, are we going to follow or are we going to flee when God calls us to do something? I want you to know that each one of us right here as disciples of Christ, disciples make disciples. We're called to be disciples. Whether you're discipling your kids, your friends, your coworkers, your family, whoever it is, you're called to be a disciple. You're called to be a light. So what do people think about us? Are we going to follow suit and do what God wants us to do? Are we going to flee from that? and go the opposite direction in our life. That's pretty good. As with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd like to just pray right now for God to just um, speak to us in our hearts, for God to convict our hearts, and for God to pour hope and love back into our heart. God, that if we may have strayed in any way, that we may know that God is willing to take us back and God is waiting to take us back. God is willing to get us out of this storm, whether it is through calming the storm or whether it's through swallowing us with a fish. Whatever it is, guys, may we know that God is there. He has provided a way that we are never abandoned by God. We are never far away from God. That we, if we are willing to follow God, and we are willing to follow suit with what God wants for our lives, that He is willing to provide us every resource needed to do so. God, You have blessed us with salvation. You have blessed us with life. We love You, we honor You, and we praise You for that. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.